You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. It is good to be with you guys, man. Thank you for being here at East Point Church. We are, we are here for one purpose, to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. And so that is our upfront, that is who we are. We hope that you leave here today going, I know who God is better. I see him more clearly, and I'm more moved and inspired to worship him with everything in my life. And so we are glad that you're here. Uh, It's an exciting day because we are beginning a brand new sermon series. And so our last sermon series was the first official East Point Church sermon series. Now this is the second official East Point Church sermon series. And so as we begin, I'm just curious here, because uh, I, I don't know all of you guys. We haven't had the, the privilege of meeting personally. I'm just curious. Is there anybody in this room that loves music? Nobody? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah, music. Isn't it just powerful? I love music. Ever since I was a kid, I was just dancing in my crib. There's just something about music. I still dance in my crib. Get it? You get it, right? Here's what I love about music, right? Whatever you are feeling, whatever you are experiencing, whatever stage or station of life you are in, there is a song for you. There is a genre. There are lyrics. There are certain instruments. There are certain keys. There are certain chord progressions that just can express what you're feeling, right? And so, for example, I wake up on a Saturday morning, and I'm feeling good, and I'm excited, and I just blast that salsa music through my house, right? And, and see, I'm not listening to the music to make me feel a certain way. I'm listening to that music because I feel a certain way, and it's the music is just a way to help me go, yes, that's what I feel like, right? There's other times where, you know, I'm, I'm more somber, And I don't want the upbeat stuff. Like if somebody puts the radio on and it's upbeat, I go, ooh, change it, because that's not where I'm at. That's not expressing what I'm feeling. There are certain times where I want something soft and reflective. Sometimes I want music that's more contemplative. Sometimes I want to dance and I put on my party music. But whatever I'm feeling, whatever, whatever is inside of me, there is music to express myself. That's what I love about music. Whatever I'm feeling, Whatever I'm thinking, I just, music, music. I'm talking about music this morning because we are diving into a songbook. Not just any songbook, it's the songbook of the Bible. Anybody know what it's called? The Psalms. The Psalms are the songbook of the Bible. These are beautiful works of poetry that God's people for centuries have used to express themselves. And so I like to think of the Psalms, kind of a songbook or an album, but I, I like to think of the Psalms as a playlist, all right? The Psalms are the playlist, and they have been the playlist for centuries. And just like your playlist, just like any good playlist, there are a variety of songs. There are a variety of genres. There are a variety of expressions and key, key, key chords, chord keys. I messed it up. I'm a musician, I promise, I know these things. But there's a variety for whatever we are experiencing in life. And so some of these songs are jubilant. And they are like like exclamation points galore. And they're shouting. And you can almost just hear the bass as God's people are going, yes, worship the Lord. He is good. His love endures forever. Exalt it. 
And there's other songs that are more contemplative, low-key, thinking about life, thinking about the way of things and the nature of life itself. There are other songs in here that are called laments. These are the kind of songs that you would put on on the radio for grieving, for mourning. You're sad. And so, again, just like your playlist, there is a psalm for whatever it is that we are feeling so that we can give expression to what's going on inside of us. And so today, here's what I want to do. Actually, for the next three weeks, we are going to press play on one of these psalms. And we are going to turn to Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. And as a matter of fact, in, in, you know, in English, it says 42 and 43, but this is actually one song. And the name of this song is called Cast Down. Cast Down. That's the name of this song. And so we're going to press play here. We're going to spend a few weeks digesting the lyrics. We want to work through this song and examine the message because there's some really, 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 really good stuff in this song. And I think you guys are going to be moved by it. So as you turn in your Bibles to Psalm 42, uh, let me provide some context. Uh, the, the, if Psalms are like a playlist, there's five albums, okay? There are five books in the Psalms. And so if you looked at Psalm 42 in your Bible, it'll say book two. Psalm 42 is the first song on the second album, all right? So there are five books, five albums in the Psalms. Uh, most scholars think it's, they were divided that way for the five books of the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So there are five books in the Psalms, right? So we're in Psalm 42, the first track on the second album. And if you were to click on this song, if we just look at the about section, we see that it's written by this group, this artist, not a grunge rock band, but the Sons of Korah. You would think the Sons of Korah. Not, it's, it's a little bit predated there. And so the Sons of Korah, you may, you may have heard the name Korah. Uh, he's famous for Korah's rebellion in the book of Numbers. The sons of Korah are not literally his sons. This is 400 years after Korah. And so sons of Korah simply means from the line of Korah. These are his descendants. So it's as if you're walking around the area here and you see the name Spurry or Nagel, right? And it's like, oh, that's, I get it. That's a popular family name in this area. That was sons of Korah. Korah was a popular last name. And so uh, some famous sons of Korah, Samuel the prophet, ever heard of him? He was a son of Korah. He was from that line. Uh, there was another family, uh, the sons of Korah, and they were famous. They were like special ops, high-capacity soldiers, um, warriors in David's army. We see about them in Chronicles. There's another family by that last name. They were responsible for taking care of the physical spaces in the campus of the tabernacle, making sure the instruments and the furniture was kept clean. But then there was another group of the sons of Korah, and they are what I call King David's lead creatives. That's what I like to refer to them as. They were lead creatives. Look what David did. These are the men whom David put in charge of the service of song in the house of the Lord after the ark rested there. They ministered with song before the tabernacle of the tent of meeting until Solomon built the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, and they performed their service according to their order. And so imagine there's an order. Imagine a guild of sorts that was responsible for organizing the creative elements of their tabernacle. And so all the choral singing, all the musical instruments and the musical worship, the holiday pageantry, the holiday processionals that would happen on the campus there, the sons of Korah were responsible for organizing those. And so many people know that music 
creativity, poetry, these things flourished when King David was in charge, right? They flourished under his administration, and it's, in de- it's no doubt due to the sons of Korah. They helped him organize all of his songs. They helped put them together. They gave expression. And so, again, if you look at their, their about section on Spotify, they're responsible for 11 of the psalms, okay? There are 11 psalms written by the sons of Korah, including the two that we're going to be going through here called Cast Down. And so I really do think that you guys are going to enjoy their songs, man. They are gifted artists. Would you guys like to hear them? Would you like to hear their songs? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm going to stick to the Bible, all right? So here are their songs. It's called Cast Down, and we're going to begin. We're not going to go through the whole song today. We're just going to go through the first verse and then the chorus, all right? First verse, then the chorus. Are you with me? Psalm 42, Bible's open. Here at East Point Church, you're going you're gonna to feel out of place if you don't have one of these. So if you don't own a Bible on your way in, you can grab one of the blue and white ones, and that's our gift to you, okay? You want to follow along. And we're on page 469 in those Bibles. So here we go, starting from verse 1. This is God's word to our church. To the choir master, a masculine of the sons of Korah, as a deer pants for flowing streams, So pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? We're just going to pause right there. When shall I come and appear before God? This last line here, this last line actually gives us some context. This is a clue as to when this was written. And so most scholars understand that there was a time When King David, if you don't know this, check this out. When David was king, there was a time where his son Absalom was trying to commit a coup, a mutiny, a hostile takeover. His son, his own flesh and blood, committing treason, amassing forces, and they are moving on Jerusalem. They are moving on the capital, and he's going to take his father off the throne and set himself up as king. And so David hears about it. Look what he does. A messenger came to David saying, the hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. Then David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, arise and let us flee, or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. And so David, he reads the writing on the wall. He says, we got to get out of here. And so he runs. He takes his leaders with him, including, who are some of his leaders? His worship leaders the sons of Korah. And so they leave Jerusalem, and they're on, the, they're on the run. They're fleeing. They're in exile. No more Jerusalem, which means no more tabernacle. They have to leave the place where God made his, his presence dwell, the place of worship. No more tabernacle. No more gatherings. No more getting with God's people. No more leading the processions. No more holidays in Jerusalem where everybody would come and worship God. And just like many of us experienced last year during the pandemic, their inability to gather with the people of God, it created this longing. The sons of Korah, they're feeling this acute sense of longing. They are missing something. They're fleeing. And they are so aware that they are yearning for something to the point that it aches. And so here they are in exile. Deep, deep longing. And so they do what every creative does. They take out their pen and they begin to write and they say to the choir master, a masculine of the sons of Korah, 
And so they begin to describe this longing that is inside of them. But they're not just describing it the way that I would, because I would just use words and, and explain it. They're describing their longing the way that every creative in the room describes their longing, with pictures. Okay, thank God for the creatives in the room. He describes it with pictures. Look how poetic he says, this powerful imagery. He says, as a deer pants. And immediately we have images come to mind, right? I grew up in Pennsylvania, and I remember watching deer run through the woods. I'd never seen a deer tired. Always boundless energy, right? Imagine a deer who has been running so long that they're gassed, and they pull up, and they're panting, and all they could think about is finding a refreshing stream of cool water to dip their heads in because they feel like if they don't drink now, they will die. A deer who is so desperate for water, so desperate to drink, that it's just gasping for air. I need it now, or I will perish. And so our creative here, he writes this song, and he goes, that's how I feel. That's how I feel. What I'm feeling is not just a passing interest. What I'm feeling is more than just a nice option. That, that might be nice. I'll, I'll consider that. No, he says, I have a thirst so deep that it feels like it's going to overwhelm my life if it's not satisfied. I'm thirsty. And then he locates his thirst. He says, this is not thirst of my mouth. He says, this is a thirst of my soul. Soul, nefesh, meaning my whole being. This is a longing that cannot be compartmentalized to one aspect of my life. This is the deepest center of who I am. My whole being, my soul is filled with longing. Thank you, Lord, for those creatives who can give pictures and imagery and sounds, music, to capture those feelings. And so I want to pause there on that feeling, because I think that image resonates with us, doesn't it? You may have never uh, described yourself as a deer, right? You may not leave here going, I feel like a deer today, God, right? I get it. You may have never used that picture, but the sentiment here, I believe that it resonates with all of us, because all of us thirst. Every one of us, we thirst. We know what he's talking about. We have feelings and pictures that come to mind as he describes the thirst. We know what it feels like to long with our whole being. You know what it feels like, friend, to feel incomplete and to just intuitively, without nobody telling you, you intuitively understand, I need something. Something is missing in my life. We thirst. And then so here's what we do, right? Because we're humans, we thirst, and so we instinctively move to quench our thirst. And so we just think to ourselves, man, if I had more money, ooh, that would just hit the spot, right? That would fill my thirst. Right? Man, if I had more achievements, right? If I had a little bit more success in my life, that longing, that gnawing restlessness, that wouldn't be there anymore, right? No, you know what it is? If I had more friends, kind of lonely these days, if I had more friends, right, just people that I can kick it with, people that I can just be real with, if I had more real friends, oh, I just, mm, I wouldn't be thirsty anymore. If I had a better job, woo, not me personally, this is an example, I love my job, if I had a better job, if I had more recognition at my job, you know what, forget my job, if I just had more fun, 
I need a little bit more ease and leisure in my life. That'll make me feel better. No, honestly, what would make me feel better? I know it now. I get it. I, I located the thirst. If I just looked better, if I just looked, man, I'm aging, my hairline, my waistline, if I just looked better, if I can find the fountain of youth, oh, man. Or maybe you're here and you've given up on trying to find what satisfies that numbing or that, that longing. And so you've said, if I can just numb the longing, if I can just silence the thirst, if I can just not feel anything at all, maybe that's the best I can get. And you see, we run, friends. This is what humans do. We run and we pursue all of these things because our souls are thirsty. And if you're anything like me, which I think you are, then you know the disappointment that comes from trying to quench your thirst only to realize that the things you've looked to leave you feeling empty, leave you feeling disappointed, let you feel let down, and sometimes you even feel ashamed because it doesn't work. I'm thirsty, friends, but I'm not sure what will fill it. I'm thirsty, friends, but I don't know where to look. And that's why I'm putting on this song today. Because the psalmist knows exactly what will satisfy his soul. He knows exactly what will quench the thirst of his soul. Look what he says. He says, this is what I'm thirsty for. He says, my soul pants for you, O God. He's leaving Jerusalem. He is fleeing from his home. But the thing that he's aching for, the thing that he's longing for, it's not his old job. It's not the community that he's leaving behind. It's not the comfort of his own bed there in the capital. He was, he's going to miss those things, no doubt. But that's not the source of his aching. What he wants first and foremost is he wants God. He doesn't just want the things associated with God. He's longing for the presence of his creator. His soul, right, and he's just so in tune, he recognizes my soul is longing to be with the living God. When will I get back there? When will I get to be with him? Because he alone will satisfy my soul. And then there's this little phrase here. It's, I'm gonna, I have to show it to you because it's so cool. But he says, when shall I come and appear before God? Any, uh, anybody speak a different language in this room besides English? Spanish? French? What else would we speak? Mandarin? Japanese? There we go. Okay, so listen. Those of you who speak, all four of you. <laughs> that's not a good illustration, huh? Uh, for those, anybody take high school Spanish one? Ah, mi amigos, hey, que pasa en la casa? So listen, in a different language, there, that's all I know, in a different language, there are often phrases that don't translate 100%. You know what I'm talking about? There's like an idiom, it's called an idiom, don't be an idiom, speak in idioms, and you try to like translate it, but it doesn't work. It's like, what about the clock in my mother's house? It just doesn't translate. There's an idiom going on here in Hebrew, and I, and I only want to show it to you because these are creatives. These are artists. These are musicians. And, and you can see them using this powerful image and this idiom. And we just can't really get it in English. But it says, when shall I come and appear before God? Literally what he says is, when shall I come to the face of God? When shall I come to the face of God? So we translate it. We go, we can't say that because God doesn't have a face. What he means is, I want to come before God. Yes, but what a cool idiom. He says, I don't just long to be in his presence. 
I don't just long to be near to God. He's saying, I want his face. I want the relational, communal exchange with God. I want to be with him where he sees me and I see him. I want his face. I want his attention. That's what I'm longing for. I'm longing for a relationship. My son, he's four years, almost four years old, Everett, and he learned this, I think, because I say it to him. When I want him to pay attention, I go, Everett, look at my eyes. And so now he says it to me. He's like, Daddy, Daddy. I go, yeah. He goes, look at my eyes. <laughs> That's what he, he's like, I want your face. I want you to see me. I want, you to, I want to know that we are connecting right now. I'm not just in your presence, Daddy. I want your face. Look at my eyes. And he's, yeah. And that's what he says here. He says, when shall I come and have God's face? When shall I come and appear before God? Because that is what my soul is longing for. Is there anybody in this room that's thirsty this morning? Let me tell you, friends, the thirst, the longing of our soul is a thirst for God. Let this song tell you and teach you what that thirst is. Our, the longing of our soul is a thirst for God. There's a church father, his name is Augustine, or you can pronounce it Augustine, but he wrote you know, several famous books and treatises. He's a church father, and this is what he says here. This is an actual picture from him from 300 AD. But listen to what he says. You have, that was a joke. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Friends, the restless longing, the thirst of your soul, it will not go away until you have God. That's what this song teaches us. Our soul will not be satisfied until it experiences the creator whose image our soul is made in. And so we walk around and we have all the little G gods, all the substitutes, all the placebos that we try to satisfy ourselves. And it's nope, nope, no. Nope. Our hearts will be restless until we rest in God. Are you thirsty this morning? Have you been unable this season of life to figure out, just to put your finger on it, what is it? What am I missing? What is my soul longing for? The longing of your soul is a thirst for God. And I'm here to tell you boldly this morning that substitutes and little g gods will never satisfy. They will only leave you empty in disappointment because you need a living God. And so here's my good news for you. For all my thirsty friends in the room, for everybody in the room who has tasted and drank from what the world has to offer, and yet you still wake up the next day thirsty, I have good news for you. God didn't just tell the thirsty to come. He came to the thirsty. And look what he says. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. This is Jesus. He says again in the same book, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. This is living water, a thirst that will never, never be satisfied by anything other than God. Friends, I'm telling you this morning that God satisfies the thirst of our soul in his son. God satisfies the thirst of our soul in his son. And so follow him. Be with him. He will satisfy you. Jesus Christ in a relationship with him. He will lead you in a way of life. And it's the only life that satisfies. Because what did the psalmist want? He wanted the face of God. How do we see the face of God? In the face of Jesus Christ. You want to be satisfied? Come to Jesus. 
Come to Jesus. Let us know. If you want to talk, like we're so real here, if you want to talk, text us and say, hey, can we talk about this Jesus thing? Stop by the Connect counter. Fill out a Connect card. Drop it in there. Do whatever you have to do. But let's talk about it, friends. Let's talk about it. So back to the music. Back to the music. He is longing. There's a thirst of his soul. But we see as he writes here, there's more than just longing. His psalm, it starts to devolve a little bit. He starts to move from longing into full-blown grief. Look what he does. My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng, how I would lead them in procession to the house of God with loud shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Our artist, he's experiencing a deep grief. He's lost his appetite. He's not interested in the enjoyment of good food and drink. He's not eating. As a matter of fact, all he's tasted lately are his tears. His tears, day and night. Day and night, he's weeping. This is a man who's grieving. He is broken. Have you ever been there? You ever been there where you're past the point of talking about it, right? I don't want to talk about it anymore. You're past the point of keeping it together. You don't even want to go in public because you don't even have the energy to put on the face because at any moment, uncontrolled sobs may take over. This is where he is. This is a grief that is so deep that sobs are all he can muster. Uncertainty abounds, and he has no idea where the future goes from here. And you know what makes it worse? You know what makes the the tears at night even worse? Every time he lays down on his pillow, every time he closes his eyes, all he can think about are the memories. Oh my goodness, these things I remember. I remember what it used to be like when I would lead God's people. I remember what it was like to gather with them and we're leading them in worship and they're raising their hands and they're praising God. I remember, in other words, I remember all the things that I'm not sure I'll ever have again. And it's the memories, man. You see, in grief, happy memories can sometimes become haunting memories. And it hurts to think about it. He's crying all night long. And then it says here, all day long. There's no escape. All night there's tears. And then all day, he has to deal with these voices. And what do the voices say? They say to me all the day long, where is your God? There's no escape. I'm reading this this week, and, I'm, and I ask myself, right? I say, who is the they? Who's they? Man, if I could ever find they, well, they say that we, oh, I want to meet they, right? Who's the they? You see, when I was first writing this message, I assumed that the they were enemies, adversaries, foes, right? uh, Oftentimes the psalmist, it will talk about these antagonists in his life who taunt him and they mock him. When we get to verse 10, we're going to see that. Later in this song, in the second verse, we hear about enemies who are taunting him. But notice, nowhere in this verse does he mention enemies. There's no foes. There's, There's no mockers or scoffers. The subject of this verse is the tears. It's the tears. 
And so here's why that's important. I don't think these are voices around him. These are voices within him. His very tears, the constant sobs, it's as if they're being personified, right? It's as if his grief, his very pain, is the, it's the personification. Again, he's a creative. It's a word image. And it's as if his tears are reminders. His tears are accusing him. They're peppering him with the painful question all day long, where is your God? It's the voices within that are saying, why would he let this happen? If your God was present, where is he now? Does he even exist? Will he deliver you this time? Oh, now that you need him the most, where is he now? And these voices, accusing. You see, friends, what I realize here is that in our grief, our tears are talking. In our pain, we hear those voices. You see, when other people are asking those questions, that's rough, right? Like adding insult to injury. When other people ask those questions, that's rough. But when we realize that sometimes those voices are coming from here, and that's real. And that means those of you in this room who in your grief have asked those questions, those of you in this room who have in your pain, you have thought those things, those things that you dare not even say out loud, but you think them. Here's what I want you to know. You're not alone. You're in good company. He is pouring out his soul here. He is expressing his emotions in a real way. This is a biblical author. Not just some contemporary writer spouting off against God. This is a biblical author and he is real and he is raw in his transparency. He's not pretending. He's not trying to put on the face for the church people. He's not trying to stuff it down. He's not accepting easy cliches this morning, friends. No, thank you. He's being very real here. He's in the very real process of grief. And this is a real stage. And so let me ask you this. Are we allowed to ask those kind of questions? Are those questions allowed? Are God's people, let alone a worship leader, are they allowed to ask those kind of questions? And and we're going to see it again in verse 9. In verse 9, he's going to continue to ask that question. Are we allowed to feel these emotions? Are we allowed to ask these questions? Is that not disrespectful? Is that not a lack of faith? But here's what I notice. Nowhere in our passage this morning does God rebuke the author. Nowhere does he reprimand these feelings. As a matter of fact, he does the opposite. He captured it in his inspired scriptures And then he gave it to us so that we can read, so that we can cry, so that we can pray these very real feelings. Friends, I think that this is healthy. God gave us these things in the form of songs and poetry because our emotions are not evil. They're not dirty. Grief is not a lack of faith. Sadness is not sin. We can express the full range of our human emotions before God. We can express ourselves candidly toward God in prayer and even in poetry. Or even if you're so inclined, you can sing it. Because God is big enough to handle your tears. He's big enough to handle your grief. And if this simple song from the Psalms is not enough to, to, to validate that in your mind, let me remind you, friends, that we have a Savior and his name is Jesus Christ, and he can empathize with us. 
He can empathize with you in your pain because he was a man of sorrows. He was a man that was acquainted with grief. Jesus is a wonderful friend. Oh, he is a constant companion. You can tell him. You can cry to him. You can write to him. You can sing to him. You can tell Jesus just like the psalmist does here. Because not only do we have the sons of Korah and their example, we have the son of God and his example. And so here's our psalmist, longing, filled with grief. His tears are speaking to him. He's remi- they're reminding him of the past. They're raising questions about God's goodness and his reliability and his existence. But then the chorus comes. And here's where we end. The chorus comes. The beat drops. We're going to hear the chorus three times over the next three weeks, right? He repeats the chorus three times. Not eight times, like some of our worship leaders out there, okay? Just over and over and over. I actually start to measure my showers based on like Bethel sounds, Bethel Bethel soundtracks. Anybody enjoy Bethel music, right? And it's like 16-minute songs. I'm like, I showered for two songs? What am I doing? My water bill, you know? We get three times, all right? Three times he's going to repeat this chorus. And here's what he does in the chorus, and here's what I want you to know. He's expressing, he's listening to the grief, he's listening to his emotions, he's in tune with what he's feeling, but then in the chorus he does something powerful. He talks back. He's listening, but then he talks back. Look at the final verse here. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Friends, what I want you to know this morning is that when we talk to ourselves, we should talk back. Be polite. When we talk to ourselves, we should talk back. You see, he turns his attention to his soul. His soul is speaking. I'm thirsty. I'm longing. I need something. Well, he speaks back to his soul. He looks in the mirror and he speaks to himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil? Hope in God. You see, in the chorus, he offers encouragement. In the chorus, he's going to begin to speak back truth. But you need to understand this. In verse 5, when we get to the chorus, you got to recognize nothing has changed. His situation hasn't changed. The tears haven't necessarily stopped. But he speaks truth. He says, I want to give you soul. I want to give you some perspective. I want to shine a light on the darkness. I want to tell you something that will lead you to be able to hope in God. I want to lift your chin ever so gently so that you can see a bigger picture at work here. The darkness will not last forever. The darkness will not last forever. You will again praise him, soul. Everybody just look at their soul and say, soul? Soul? we got to practice, right? The darkness will not last forever. And how do I know this? Because there's a truth here. Regardless of what you're feeling in the moment, regardless of what you're experiencing, regardless of the present circumstance, there is a truth here that you need to realize. And the truth is this. He is my salvation. And my God. You see, the source of our comfort is the identity of God. These are not empty cliches. 
These are not rainbow fluffs and feel goods. These are not just, just believe more. No, it's not that. There is substance here to the hope. Be encouraged. Take heart. Because our God is glorious. He is my salvation. He's basically saying, remember who we're talking about here. This is the God who has saved us. This is the God who has delivered us. Remember, we used to be slaves in Egypt. No, he has taken us out. He has made us his own. And he looked at us and he said, I will be your God and you will be my people. And so soul, don't forget who we're dealing with here. Don't forget, has the God who has done so much for you to this point, do you really think he's going to abandon you now? Has the God who has brought you this far, is he really going to let you go now? Remember who this is. This is my salvation. This is my God. And friends, remembering yesterday's salvation gives us tomorrow's hope. Remembering yesterday's salvation gives us tomorrow's hope. And so as we end here, I want to ask you a question. Do you know the grief of this psalmist. Is there anybody here who says, I remember a season of life where I could have written that song, but you wouldn't even be able to read it because the paper would be soaked with tears. If you know the grief of this psalmist, then I want you to remember all that God has already done to make you his own. All that God has already done to save you. I want you to remember, friends, that while we were still sinners, he died for us. How much more now that we have been reconciled will he not do for us? I want you to remember what can separate us from the love of God. Remembering yesterday's salvation gives us tomorrow's hope. He will not abandon us now. And so here's the end of the first verse in the chorus. Has anything changed? No. Come back next week. Will it be different next week? Spoiler alert, no. Has the grief gone away and he's totally over it? No. But we need to end right here in our song by remembering the character of the God who saves. Remember that we can trust him. Remember that he who has saved us and who surely will save us, he will work all things together for your good. That is the promise you hold on to in the darkness. That is the refrain you keep singing to yourself in between the verses because remembering yesterday's salvation gives us tomorrow's hope. And so we're going to end a little bit uniquely today. We're going to invite you to stay seated and we're just going to end with some special music. I have my lead creative. This is Daniel Fuego, our music and creative pastor. Um, and he's going to come and he's just going to bless us with some music. Um, and so as you sit there, I want you to be thinking about this message. Think about that big idea. Remember yesterday's salvation. If you're thirsty, remember that he alone satisfies. If you're grieving, remember that he is a, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, who can comfort us. And so let's reflect on Jesus as Daniel sings. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeaston.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.